0: We're going to jump right in. We are in uh, week eight right now, and we're on core belief uh, number eight, and it is the church exists to glorify God on earth. The church exists to glorify God on earth. And um, so let's just start with the scriptures. uh, Matthew uh, chapter five, verses 14 through 16. If you don't have one of those books, they're right in the back here. Please grab one. You can follow along, take notes, take it home. We've got uh, scripture meditations each day. Um, Some of the groups are using this as a part of their outline. I know our our home group is doing that. And also we've got home groups this week, right? Is that correct? Or is it this week or next week? It's this week. week. Yeah, it's this week. So at any rate, I want to just, I just want to, if you're leading a group, whether it's this week or next week, if you're leading a home group right now, could you just stand up? I want to pray for you. Anybody leading a home group, stand up. We are so grateful for you. Yes, and for those of you that aren't part of a home group, you could take note, and then if they look like a cool person you'd want to hang out with, go find them after this, met, uh, this time. But uh, just reach your hands out to those that are standing. We want to bless them. Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for these that are choosing to be servants, God. They're choosing to facilitate these times, and we want to ask that their cup would overflow. We bless their homes. We bless their health. We bless their ability to facilitate these groups, and we thank you for them. And we ask, God, that each thing that they're doing, it would come from the overflow of your Holy Spirit, that your joy and your presence would be in every one of these groups. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. And the church said, Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. All right. So let's dive in here. So if you don't have that uh, journal, go ahead. Also, there's daily meditations on the scriptures. So it's just a fun way to stay connected with what we're doing and, and, uh, and be able to really dig into this. So the church exists to glorify God on earth. Uh, Matthew five fourteen through 16 says this. This is Jesus speaking to us. Um, he speaks these words. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. And neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. That they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. We're the church. We're the ecclesia. Jesus is speaking to us. Ecclesia means called out ones. We're the church, ecclesia. We are glorifying God on the earth through our words and through our works. That that, that the world would see our works and our words, and they would actually glorify God. They'd be like, that's, that's otherworldly. That's better than what I'm used to. That's amazing. What is that? And we're able to say, this is the kingdom of Jesus Christ. This is what his people are like, because this is what he's like. Amen? So we glorify him through our works and our words. Part of the way that we do that in our works and our words really as we do that, we do that because we live in contrast to the world, not because we're specifically against the world, but just that we're in contrast with the world because we're of a different kingdom. We live in the world, but we're not of the world. The spirit of the world is under the influence of the enemy who uses selfishness and, and, and seeks to lead, kill, steal, and destroy everyone. He hates everyone equally. He hates all of God's people because he hates God. And the world is under the enslavement of the spirit of the enemy. They don't know that. They're not trying to be enslaved. They don't want to be enslaved. They don't even know they're enslaved. And so we're living in this world that's under the influence of the enemy, and we live in contrast to those principles and those values that are going on. So, one of the things we need to understand is that Satan is our enemy, people are. Collateral damage in a war between Satan who's attacked God. And we're here to grab and let people know, like, hey, you have a really good father who loves you, and you have an enemy who's slowly killing you right now. Did you know that? Here's the good news things could be better for you. He's not mad. He loves you. He sent Jesus. Let me tell you about this kingdom. But the reason why people would ever even ask that question what is the reason for the hope that you have? is because they see our works and our words as we worship God and they, that glorify the kingdom and they go, man, the way that you live, the way that you do things in this world is, is, is very interesting to me. It's very valuable. It's very, it's winsome. It's different. It's in contrast to what I've known and what I've seen. Amen? And that's how we glorify God on earth is through those things. How we worship, how we live glorifies God in the earth. Now here's the thing. Everything we do is worship. Did you catch that? Everything that we do is worship. We worship through our words. We worship through our works. Everything we set our hand to is worship. So the question is, who am I worshiping? Everything we do is worship. But sometimes if we look at it, we go, but wait, who am I worshiping right now? In how I'm doing this with my works and my words, who am I worshiping right now? Now, when we were in the world, before we were born again, we worshiped a whole lot of things. And in, and in fact, there's really kind of three major things that I want to point out today. Jason preached recently, and he, he used that scripture, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Do you know what that is? Well, I'm going to break it down to something that maybe we might grab a hold of a little A little more quickly than the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, but it's this wealth, power, and sex. Wealth, power, and sex. And before we were born again, we worshiped wealth, power, or sex, or a combination of those three, and we attached our identity to it. We tried to bring our identity from wealth, power, or sex. And when we're born again, we're born again into a kingdom as a son or a daughter. We're a new creation, and now suddenly we worship in a different way. And when we're born again, what happens is that we now submit to God and worship Him through how we direct ourselves, and we practice stewarding each of these areas of wealth, power, and sex. So our works and our words are are how we respond when we're dealing with wealth, power, and sex, and we respond in a different way that brings glory to God in each thing because we understand that everything that we do is worship, so we want our works and our words to be different, not just to be different, but to glorify God because we actually worship Him. Are you guys with me? All right, so let me break it down a little bit. So let's start with words, okay? The way that we do this is we actually take, we take account of our words. How many of you guys know the Bible says that the power of life and death is in the tongue, right? And those who understand it will eat its fruit. How did God create all things? He did it with words. Turn to your friend and just say, words are powerful. Yeah, they absolutely are. So we, we glorify God. We seek to glorify God through our words and our works. So with words, they're powerful. I think we all agree they're powerful. How we speak either glorifies God or it doesn't. Let it sink in, right? How, how you're speaking, it does one of two things. It either glorifies God or it doesn't. Is that fair? All right. First Peter 3, 8 through 9 says this. Finally, all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble, Don't repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. Because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. Did you catch that? So look at that last part. On the contrary, repay evil with... Dang. I mean, that's a huge deal, right? That is very, very different than what we see in the world. That's a huge contrast because in the world, you treat others the way they're treating you, right? I mean, it's like treat others the way you want to be treated unless they treated you funky and then you treat them right back, right? Is that fair? I mean, that's kind of the unspoken deal. Somebody insults you, you insult them back. Somebody says something about your mama, you say something more about their mama, right? but not in the kingdom. The church glorifies God through our words, in fact, to the point that when people curse us or does something evil to us, say something evil to us, we actually respond by blessing them. That's an extraordinarily different thing. I wanna share a quote with you from a, a little booklet called Awesome Power of Blessing by Richard Brunton. And this, I think this just encapsulates it very well. The power that God has given us as a contrast community to glorify him in our works and our words, specifically with words, the power of blessing. Listen to this. God, for the most part, in his wisdom, has decided to limit his work on earth to what he can accomplish through his people. This is how he brings his kingdom to earth. Accordingly, he wants us to bless on his behalf. So, as a Christian, I can speak God's intentions or favor over a person or situation in the name of Jesus. If I do that with faith and love, then I have the power of heaven behind what I say, and I can expect God will move to change things from where they are to where he wants them to be. And when I bless someone intentionally with love and faith, I enable God to activate his plans for that person. God has actually given us the ability to bless people in his name. And when we bless, he wants to release blessing on that person. He doesn't want us to curse people. How many of you guys notice that God doesn't curse people? Jesus said, I didn't come to judge the world. I came to save it. We're we're called to do the same thing. And yet oftentimes our mouths release curses or criticisms or bad reports, which basically those are all curses instead of blessings. Who do you think wants us to be cursing people on this earth? The enemy. Absolutely. But we're the only people that have the authority to actually release blessing. And when we release curses, we're agreeing with the enemy instead of releasing blessing and agreeing with the Father in heaven. So let me break this down a little bit. What does that look like in real time? How we speak is paramount to how we're going to bring glory to God. I'm either glorifying God in what I say through blessings or I'm not. I'm either releasing a blessing or something else. How about this? How about when we're driving? <laughs> like, <laughs> you're either speaking a blessing or not. We're glorifying God or we're not. Like, how are you doing on the road these days? It's such a practical thing, but there's something about us being encapsulated in our little four-wheeled iron temple of autonomy, and we get on the road and somebody messes with our program. The other day, um, we were on our way to an appointment into Eugene and this dude comes flying up, like probably, I don't know, he's probably doing 80 plus on Beltline, you know, headed east. And we're on our way to go to Valley River Center and he just comes up on me. Now I, as a righteous saint, had my cruise control at 62 because it's the spirit of the law, not the letter of the law. The letter kills the spirit of the law. Nobody's gonna give you a ticket at 62 and a 55. So like a good saint, I'm there at 62, and and I'm about here, and there's a car right here. I'm in the fast lane, there's a car right here, and there's just traffic everywhere. Like, the car that's in front of me is like, you know, from me to, to, to Tommy. Like, we're, you know, just to the back of the room here. There's like one little space, and this dude is like, I need to be in that space. Now, it's solid traffic from Tommy on. Like, it's just solid traffic. He's not going to get anywhere. He's going to get 18 feet further than where he is right now. But he's just on me, okay? So, like, on me, on me. Like, on my bumper to the point where I could smell what he had for dinner and on his breath and his breathing on me. And so I was like, well, this guy is in a serious hurry, and there's a car to my right, and he's just right there. And Karen was like, let him go. And I'm like, babe, I can't, there's nowhere to get merge in yet. And and she's like, well, then speed up a little bit. And I'm like, no, I think we're good, you know? And, uh, and so, but I'm getting, getting, kind of irritated and the guy, you can see like the veins in his neck and what have you. And I'm just enjoying the moment to be honest. And so I'm just like, la, la, la. And, um, but, but I, but, it, but how many of you guys know I'm not at a blessing yet? And, and, and so here's what we ended up doing was the traffic opened up a little bit and I went ahead and accelerated. And so I, I pulled over and then he like flies by me and he's like, ah! and then like screeches in, in front of me. And then he, cause he was merging at the same place as me. So it's just, the whole thing is funny. And so we both go on Valley River Center. But as he was driving under the behest of my wife and my daughter, they behested me. And we just prayed for him. We're just like, God, we just pray your blessing over this guy. Like, we don't know what's going on in his life, but clearly he's feeling a lot of pressure. So we just pray you'd bless him. We pray that you'd bless his family. Because his whole family was in the car with him. I'm sure they were enjoying that. Bless his family bless his kids and help him God that he would have rhythms where he doesn't feel the pressure that he's under right now and let your kingdom come in his life so I didn't start very well okay I didn't start well I don't get points for that but I ended well and I would like points for that you can applaud Uh, yeah thank you that was for me it was the most self-serving thing I've done in like I didn't make first service applaud so it's the most self-serving thing today but no, it's we we got there. And I think that's a good example for us because here's the thing. When we're driving, do you bless or do you curse? Here's something that's interesting. I've noticed that when we decide to start talking smack about that person, idiot drivers these days, rah 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 rah, And we might even be right. But here's the deal. When we stay in that place, I have noticed, because I have been in that place, right? So when we, I'm saying we, stay in that place, it lasts for so long. It sticks with you. You're grumpy about it. Like three hours later, it's still coming up and like, oh my gosh, rah, rah, rah. Whereas if you bless that person, the next time you think about it is like when you need a good sermon illustration. It honestly just sort of leaves your mind until an opportune time to brag on yourself. This is drifting. This point's drifting a little. No, but the point is that when you bless, you are blessed, which is what that scripture says, that he wants us to bless that we may inherit a blessing. Can you receive that? We're called to bless. No matter what happens, you bless. I could go on and on, but I've got to talk to you about some other ways we live in contrast. Anytime that something evil happens to you, you and I glorify God by speaking a blessing over that person, no matter what. Amen? This is what we do. This is how you pray for your leaders. Many of you know that you're called to pray for your leaders. I want to invite you into a new way of praying for your leaders. Pray the blessings of God over that person. Bless them the same way you would bless your own child. Bless them the same way that you would bless your wife. Because everything that you want for your child or your wife or your mother or your brother or someone you love is exactly what God wants for that person. God, we we bless Joe Biden, our president. God, we bless him that you would give him the mind of Christ. We bless him that every promise and every desire that's in your heart over his life, that he would walk in it. We bless him that he would walk in righteousness and justice and kindness and self-control. We bless him that he would be transformed by the renewing of his mind and that he would live as the leader that you dream over him to be in Jesus' name. Amen? So you can agree to a prayer like that, whether you agree with Joe Biden or not, because the blessing of God brings increase. It brings change. But when we curse, we hand people over to the enemy for them to stay under the influence of the enemy. I'm not drawing a a straight line here, but with anyone, if we leave anyone away from the blessing of God, what we're doing is by default, we're handing them over to the plans of the enemy. Do you guys want our leaders to be handed over for the plans of the enemy? ever, we bless, we always bless, amen? You guys got quiet. All right, let's go to the next one. Let's go to the next one. 1 Peter 2, 9 says this, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. That you may declare the praises. Another way in the NIV it says that you may proclaim the praises, the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into the light. One of the things I want you to catch here is that we are the people who declare the awesomeness of God. We are a people who are known by our songs. We are the singing people. We declare that he is good. We're singing songs about him. We are always extolling and bragging on the goodness of God. It's one of the things that we do in our speech that we glorify God. Amen? We're known for our songs. Those are more words in the way that we, our words and our works, those are words that we share through song that separate us and show the glory of God. Isaiah 61.4 says this, They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Is there a little bit more there? No, that was it. That was wonderful. Yep, that was it. Sorry, Joe. That was my fault. They're rebuilding the ancient ruins, restoring the places devastated, renewing the ruined cities. When we work as a contrast community, we glorify God through the work of our hands. Everything that we do is in the renewing and restoring of God's excellent way on earth. What we do with our hands, what we do with our time, anything that we put our hand to, what we're doing is we're partnering with God through our works to bring glory through through the things that we do unto our Father. That people see what we build and they go, that's incredible that you did that. The way that you built that was amazing. The way that you work on a team is amazing. The way that you show up five minutes early because you're never going to be late and your employer can count on you because you glorify God through your work is amazing. The way that you are a team player and that you seek to make sure that everyone on the team is given uh, uh, honor and respect and clarity, that actually glorifies God. That's worship. It's through your works that you're showing the excellence of God. Amen? You see, these things matter to God. He has called us to live as a contrast community that glorifies him on the earth through our works and our words. And this is the area where we work. Your beautiful, clean shower that when guests come over and they stand in your shower and they go, this place is home. Like this place reminds me of the goodness of God. That that, that clean shower that you cleaned glorifies God. That's worship. Are you with me? And it goes on and on and on. But we glorify God through our work. We are restoring and rebuilding and showing the glory of God through our work. We also practice thanksgiving in our words. 1 Thessalonians 5.16 says this. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Rejoice always. Wow. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. When Karen and I, um, when I was first dating Karen, then then she came and visited, uh, we were 17 at the time and so she came to california where my family lived at the time and she so she's just meeting you know our our whole group and of course you guys have seen me a little bit so just imagine that times nine more kids and then the parents that would create all of this and so she's in the middle of this thing, but my mom is like bipping around and my mom's always singing, right? So she's just always like, praise God from whom all blessings flow, la, la, la. And she's cruising around and as she walks out of the kitchen, she's like, da, 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 whack. And she stubs her toe. She's walking barefoot and she goes, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> and, uh, and my wife is like... <laughs> What? And she's like, Honey, what in the world? She goes, Your mom just stubbed her toe like real bad and instead of like saying ouch or like a swear word, you know, like a normal human, she's like, Thank you, Jesus. And she's like, What was even happening? She was kinda asking me, like, is your mom nuts? (laughs) And I said, Well the truth is that at that point, like, is it better to curse or is it is it better to bless? Because, you know, now maybe she's thanking him that he's gonna heal the pain. (laughs) But what's the point here? The point is that in that circumstance, even in every circumstance, God is still good. Your toe's gonna heal. No matter what happens to you, it's still a good idea to praise Jesus. In fact, this literally says, rejoice always and give thanks in all circumstances. She straight up did the scripture stubbing her toe. I have yet to stub my toe and go with the thank you Jesus. but I have hurt myself really bad and thanked Jesus a couple of times. And you should try it sometime. It does help. It does help. I'm not saying I'm as good as mama at this point. I'm still working on that. Or you can all pray for me for the hurt yourself and thank you, Jesus. But I think that's an extreme and very cool example of what we are called to do in the midst of all things. Is It's like your stock just dropped and you go, well, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I praise you that right now you're with me and my life is not in the substance of of my possessions. You just lost your job. Thank you, Jesus. I don't know what you're going to do for me, but I know you're going to take care of me because you always have, and you've never failed me. Whatever the circumstances is, we are a people who thank God in every circumstance with our words, and that is a way that we live in this world that glorifies Jesus. And people look at your life, and they're like, I don't understand what's happening with you. My Aunt Patty... um, Uh, died of cancer, and it was a terrible situation. It went from, I'm having an issue in my ear to, oh, it looks like it's a tumor to, okay, it's throughout your brain to, we think we can treat it to get your affairs in order. And as she went through this grueling, you know, year plus time, and then we, we ended up losing her to cancer. But as she met with her doctors and her team, her and Uncle Ken, the way that we walked through that and throughout the whole thing, Aunt Patty was always saying, you know what, I just thank Jesus, I've had a good life. I just thank Jesus because he's with me right now. It's all right because the truth is, I know I'm gonna be happier there than I am here. And she was busy, so they would bring like necklaces and stuff for the, for the uh, nurses, and they were just spending time giving glory to God in the midst of the worst circumstances. And at the end of this, when, when, when she passed, the doctor having heard that she had passed called my uncle Ken and wept on the phone because their life was so impacted by this patient that doesn't happen very often doctors have to go through a lot with what they do as do all of our healthcare workers but it's rare that you get a personal phone call from your doctor who says i just want to tell you what an impact you guys have had on me and he's actually called a couple more times just to check in to just say this is this is how you affect me this is living in contrast where we glorify god through the way that we give thanks the way that we use our words in the midst of all circumstances. We are a people of gratitude. Amen? Amen. Now, I want to I drill down a little bit here, specifically with wealth, power, and sexuality. And we're going to cover a lot of ground here. So, Lord, help me to stay on point here. The first thing I want to talk to you about is wealth. Okay, we live as a contrast community to glorify God through our works and our words in how we deal with wealth. We're a new creation. And so, uh, let's look at Matthew Uh, Chapter 6, verses uh, 19 through 24. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. If your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Leave that one up for just a moment if you would, Joe. So at the, look, at, look at how he brings it together. And this is Jesus speaking, by the way. He says, listen, don't put all of your faith in wealth on earth... Wealth is useful, but don't serve it. Don't make it the permanent thing. Rather, use wealth to store up true treasure in heaven. Everything that you're doing here is an investment for forever. He gives perspective. And then he says, you can't serve two masters. You will either serve me, Jesus Christ, the Lord, and my Father, God of all, or you'll serve money. You can't serve both. You have to make a choice. So money is either your servant or your God, pick one. This is a huge thing that's very different from how the world sees wealth. When we submit to the Lord God Almighty, then we see wealth as simply a tool. We also understand that there's a spirit of wealth, right, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, the pride of life, there's a spirit of wealth that can try to tempt us, and so we worship the Lord by making our wealth submit to the king and kings and his purposes. When it, like Jesus is giving us that program. He says, you actually direct your wealth in a certain way so that you store up what's actually permanent that you cannot lose. Are you guys with me? We glorify God through the way that we manage our wealth. We, we glorify God by understanding that we can't love both. It has to be under our feet. We do that by, number one, recognizing it all belongs to the Lord. Number two, by stewarding it the way that he calls for us to steward it. We bring our first fruits, the tithe, the principle of the tithe, and we dedicate that to the Lord as followers of God. That is very counterculture to say, I'm going to take this wealth that I've traded my money, I'm sorry, my time and my efforts towards, my Excellency towards my skill set towards, and I'm going to purpose the first 10% of it to the works of the kingdom because I honor God. And that sends your own heart a message that wealth does not own you, but that you own that wealth and you are stewarding it for the Lord God Almighty. It tells your heart and it tells that wealth what you're doing. It makes it your servant. We see that principle happen. We live a life of generosity. Now, that 10% is just a baseline. It's a principle of saying this first mount is what I do. Now, it all belongs to the Lord, and we steward it. And that's a way that we glorify God by living counter to what the way that this world lives. Amen? And I'm not saying that there aren't people in the world that are extraordinarily generous. There, There are extraordinarily generous people in the world that are already showing the goodness of God in their character. But this is something unique to us that we are called to do. Can you receive that? We glorify him through our works and words in telling our, our finances what to do and by acting upon it in a righteous way. Power. This is not meant to be exhaustive, by the way. I'm trying to cover a lot of information here. So the next way that I, thing I want to talk about is power. Matthew chapter 20, verse 25 and 28. We glorify God in this earth through how we manage power. Jesus called them together and he said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Okay, so the world lords the rulers lord over the other people. I'm the boss and you are not. You will do what I say. You will serve me. You will do it my way. I'm the specialist. You follow me. The Gentiles lord them. their high officials exercise authority over them. Jesus says, this is Jesus speaking, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. In the kingdom, it is not inappropriate to want to be great. In fact, he goes on, whoever wants to be first must be your slave. It's not inappropriate to want to be first. However, in the kingdom, if you want to be great and if you want to be first, then you must become a servant and a slave. Why? Just as the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The way that we deal with real power is that we create systems and governments and govern ourselves in such a way that we limit power because we emulate Jesus Christ himself who came not to be served, but to serve. This is why we believe in limited power, because we protect ourselves from any authority structure that can become tyrannical, because God has given us everything that we have, and we serve him. All authority belongs to him, and we work with delegated authority. So the way that we operate with our authority has to match that. Are you seeing that? That's why we don't hand over authority. That's why we don't give the state all of the authority because all authority belongs to God and the state needs to be limited in its authority. That's in contrast to what the world believes. The world believes that the state is the authority and therefore if you become an enemy of a state through what the state has legislated, you lose your rights and your access and your ability to access things because the state has held the authority without the checks and balances of power. All authority belongs to God, and our safety can only come from Him. And we as people of God must seek that we limit those authorities so that we are all servants. Do you see that? And that our leaders have to be servant leaders. There's a way that we manage our power. Do you see this? And that's on an individual basis as well as on an organizational basis and a governmental basis. These are the things that we seek to make sure are in place so that we don't see tyrants come and do what tyrants do. That's a call on our life that comes from the Lord. And lastly, sexuality. Matthew twenty two twenty nine 29 through 30. So again, we glorify God through how we bring authority by becoming servants. We glorify God in our sexuality through following what it is that he had in mind for sexuality. Now, as I begin to go into this, I want to say this. If you're not born again, none of this pertains to you. God doesn't ask people that are not in his kingdom and that don't desire to be in his kingdom to do the things that are required in his kingdom. God is the God who has given us this freedom in this life to do whatever we want And we'll stand before him and give an answer for what we chose and why we chose it, whether we accepted him and his free gift of eternal life or whether we rejected him and decided we wanted to do it our own way. That's in all of these things, whether it's in wealth, whether it's in power, or whether it's in sexuality. God has given us the freedom to reject him and still have access to everything that he's given us in this life, hoping that in this life, We would choose him and know him as he is. So that's the context of this. He's given us this time to discover him. You see, we talked about authority. That's another thing that God doesn't ever do. He doesn't coerce us and he doesn't threaten us. That's why our authority structures are to never be coercive and never be threatening. We glorify God by not doing those things and he's not doing those things. However, he does say, listen, I desire that none would perish, but all would have eternal life." And if you will believe in my son, Jesus Christ, I will give you eternal life. And the Holy Spirit will teach you all things. Once we're born again. Now it says this unless we're born again, we can't even see the kingdom of heaven. So to ask somebody who doesn't see the kingdom of heaven to live by a law of love that's required in the kingdom of heaven is totally inappropriate. Do you guys see that? But as we are in the kingdom, and we, we find that we have this Father who loves us, and we, we understand, like, I made you for relationship. I made you to be holy and to live forever, and I want to tell you everything about that in the context of having done all things so that there would be no separation and you could be with me always. I love you intrinsically, and I gave my son for you before you even knew about me or wanted me. Do you want me? And you go, that sounds amazing. Tell me more. I'll follow you, teach me, and then you're born again. Then he begins to talk to us about how things happen in his kingdom. But it's in the context of relationship and love. Are you guys seeing that? So within that context, I wanna talk about what is sexuality like in the kingdom in contrast to what is in the world. Well, we already see what's in the world, so I wanna talk about what's in the kingdom. The first thing that Jesus says, this is Jesus speaking, and this is really important for sexuality. He begins with this, Matthew 22 29 through 30, Jesus replied. He's speaking to the Sadducees. You are in error because you don't know the scriptures or the power of God. At the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. Jesus is saying right out of the gate. The context of sexuality is temporary and only for this earth. When we live forever, we will live in celibacy as brothers and sisters like the angels. Sex is temporary. This is the foundation for sexuality, is that it's temporary. This is a key point for us to understand. We glorify God by not glorifying sex as the key component of our identity, but understanding that it's a function within the epic season that we're in that will end and be replaced by something greater than sex, something more valuable than sex. Sex is temporary. This is great news for those of us who may be struggling with something in the kingdom that God forbids for us, and we are carrying that cross, and the good news is his grace is sufficient for us, and he's able to carry us through this life, and we can live without sin, but that cross will come to an end at the resurrection because none of us will be having sex at that point, and those particular urges or pulls or whatever they are will no longer be the preeminent part of our life, and we will be free much in the same way of any other area of our life that's not yet fully realized. Amen? 1 Corinthians 6 says this, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? You're not your own. You were bought at a price, Therefore, honor God with your bodies. The key thing here is that we glorify God in our bodies because we recognize, first and foremost, they don't belong to us. The spirit of the world says, it's my body, it's my choice. The spirit of the world says, it's my body and I can do whatever I want, name it whatever I want, call it whatever I want, identify whatever I want. And the truth is, while you're in the world, you absolutely can. You are completely free to do that. God actually gives you the freedom to do that. In contrast, if you come into the kingdom, the Lord says, actually, your, your body is much more valuable than you thought. And it belongs to me. In fact, you are so valuable to me, I gave my own son, Jesus Christ, who never sinned, who's never done anything wrong, and who loves you and gladly chose to give his life for you because that's how valuable you are. And you're bought by a, with a price. So what I want you to know is that this body is precious to me, and I want you to value it as much as I do. Your body is not your own. So in contrast to the world, we live with a sexual ethic that God says our bodies are extraordinarily valuable. And we must not engage them in sexual sin. Mark 10, 5 through 9, Jesus replied, but at the beginning, oh, I'm sorry. It was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this this law. He was talking about being divorced. But Jesus replied, but at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female And for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. In the kingdom, God has made us male and female in his image. That's the reason why we're male and female, is because we're made in his image. And he cares dearly that we are image bearers and carry that very thing that he called for us to be. And so we carry the image of God secondarily. God has said that sex is to be in the covenant of marriage between one man and one woman, which is in contrast to the spirit of the world. But this is part of the way that we glorify God in the kingdom is that we marry male and female because God created us male and female that we do only engage in sex within marriage because God created marriage to be a covenant that's not broken. Speaking of the covenant that Jesus has with us as the bride of Christ, that we will be married forever to Christ for eternity. So this is why that context is there. And the context for identity as sons and daughters is because we're made in the image of God, male and female. First Corinthians seven, one through six, He's answering a question that they were asking him regarding whether or not we should be having sex at all. This is the question. And so he's he's answering this. Paul is answering from this church that had asked him, like, hey, should we be having any sex? And so he's quoting that. It is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman, question mark. And he answers, since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. And in the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. Let's stop there for a second. The sexual ethic in the kingdom of God that glorifies the Lord through the way that we work and act in our marriage is one, that you don't have one person who has, uh, has all the authority over the other person. You don't have one person that has to submit to the other, but the other doesn't have to, you know, it's mutual submission. There's not, a, there's not a power dynamic where one has more authority than the other. They're both mutually submitted in the same way that we're submitted to God. Also, because we belong to one another, it continues on to, to show you how this works out. So let's continue now. Go ahead. Um, Do not deprive each other except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time. In our marriages, the way that we glorify God is that we don't manipulate each other through denying one another access to the relationship. We don't use sex as a manipulative tool. There are times it says here, it says, um, do not deprive each other except perhaps by mutual consent. So there has to be some agreement. Hey, we're gonna take a moment and we're gonna fast and pray and seek the Lord. And then we're looking forward to our reunion where we can have sex again. Why? He he spells that out. Then they may come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. And I say this as a concession, not as a command. What his point is, is he's saying, listen, it's important that you guys don't deprive each other because you're actually opening yourself up. If you're married and you haven't been been given the gift of celibacy, which we'll get to that. If you're married, you have not been given the gift of celibacy, but that you don't deprive each other and leave one another open to the enemy attacking you in the areas of of temptation through the flesh. So we need each other. We're interdependent within our sexual conduct. And we belong one to another and we do not manipulate one another. So you see how God has created sex to be not, not manipulative, not coercive, not threatening, not broken, but rather whole and holy and beautiful. And we actually glorify God through this relationship of consistent sex in our marriages. And he is only given the gift of sex within the context of marriages. Let's continue. I wish that all of you were as I am, but each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift and another has that. What is he talking about? Paul is actually talking about that. He's he's saying, listen, I wish that you were all as I am. Well, Paul was celibate. The gift that Paul was given was that he was celibate. He was someone who didn't need to have sex, and so he did not marry and he did not engage in sex, but rather devoted himself fully and totally to the ministry that God had given him. And he says, listen, I wish that you were all like that, but each of you has your own gift from God. I wanna point out to you that one of the ways that we glorify God, and I think this is one of the most undervalued areas, both in society and in the church, is the gift of celibacy. Our world has deified sex to the point that almost everything is seen through the eyes of sex. And so that's the water we swim in. Everything, almost everything we see is either sold or seen through the lens of sex. So the gift of celibacy, the fact that you might be someone who God has actually gifted to be non-sexual is so undervalued and I really believe that there have been many people that have been wrecked on the rocks of dysfunction because you didn't have attraction to the opposite sex, which means you've been given a gift of celibacy. But the only option in the, in the waters that we swim in is, well, then I must be attracted to the same sex or I must be attracted to several sexes or you know it gets myriad choices from there. But the point is God has actually given a gift to some of us and Paul actually wishes that it was all of us that we would be able to devote our lives unto the Lord and be completely fulfilled through phileo love with one another as opposed to eros love and through being engaged with him, understanding that our ultimate, ultimate destiny is to be one with God and married to him forever and that sex is actually temporary and transitory. So the point of this is you may have a gift of celibacy You'll know that it's a gift of celibacy primarily because you feel like it's a gift. For those of you that don't have a gift of celibacy, you honestly, if you thought about that, you're like, oh, that, that's, that's terrifying to me. Well, you probably don't have that gift. You probably don't have the gift of celibacy if you don't consider it a gift. But it's really vital that we value the gift of celibacy the way that Paul is telling us. And in another place, Jesus says to us, some of you have been made eunuchs by men and some of you have been made eunuchs by God, but let each person, you know, steward their own gift. He's saying, it's important that you understand that some of you are going to be non-sexual and that's a huge gift from the Lord because you're able to devote yourself wholly to God. It's a special gift anointing from the Lord, and it should be, it is esteemed by God, and it should certainly be esteemed by us. And I think that the church in its zeal over marriage has overemphasized marriage and underemphasized celibacy and the gift that God has given. Because you don't have to be married to be complete. That's a different, that's a different thing. When you're married, you're married because God calls you to that. That's a part, that's a part of the ministry. Paul goes on to say, if you get married, you're concerned about your marriage. But if you're celibate and single, you're actually free to do whatever the Lord calls you to do. Isn't that beautiful? So there's a value that God has given within sexuality. So there's, there's a space there. You may be called to glorify God through your celibacy. And Paul says that's the best gift. So we glorify God in every aspect of these areas. The way that we deal with wealth. The way that we deal with power. And the way that we deal with sex. We do it through our works and our words, and as we do it together, it shows the goodness and the glory of God. Now, I dare say that probably every in this, everyone in this room, in light of me reading these scriptures, were probably a little bit like the Israelites when I think it was King Josiah had them read the law, and everybody just started weeping because they were like, we're so far from this. <laughs> do you remember that? And they're just crying because they're like, We've, I've fallen so far short of this, this is terrible. And he comforted them and, and he said, Can we start passing out communion, by the way? Sorry, ushers, if we could start doing that. Or friends. Ushers and friends. And 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 he comforted them and said, This, Do not weep. This is not a day for weeping, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Amen. And I want to encourage us today that we glorify God through our works and our words, and to whatever degree. That in light of these scriptures, you've found yourself, thank you so much, you've found yourself realizing like, oh my goodness, I really have fallen short of this. This is not a place, you know, I, I don't tend to speak blessings or I tend to like authority and I'm not using it the way God called me to use it. Whatever it is, maybe it's the sexual piece, your own heart knows, but to whatever degree it is, I want to encourage you that his grace is sufficient for you and that today is a great day to turn from that and to invite the Holy Spirit to begin to teach you how to live and glorify Christ in that area starting right now. And to whatever degree we've sinned and fallen short, he's given us forgiveness. He's given us access to be able to say, I'm sorry, Lord, I did fall short of your glory. Will you forgive me? And he says, yes, I forgive you. I love that psalm. It says that uh, if you, O Lord, kept a record of wrongs, who could stand? But with you, there is forgiveness of sins, and therefore you are greatly honored and held in awe. Isn't that beautiful? We get to live in an incredibly supernatural way in regard to all of these things, but it's only possible through the power of the Holy Spirit and through the blood of Jesus Christ. He gave us this communion that every time that we do it, we're preaching the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ by which we were saved and by which we live. He took the bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body and it's broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus, we thank you. And he took the cup and he blessed it and he said, this cup is the forgiveness of sins. And eternal life the new covenant sealed in my blood Lord we repent of our sins and we receive forgiveness and with it eternal life let's take the cup I've covered a lot today I pray that the Lord would work in each of our hearts I pray that you would go and study the scriptures for yourself and I pray that Christ would be formed in each of us that we would glorify him in each of these areas I love you guys God bless you.